it, just a few years ago, smart farming was just that tractors had GPS, right? <laughs> and now it's it's much more advanced. It's it's more elaborate. So much more future oriented, and the impact on the on the planet is is much bigger. So. Smart products and IoT will certainly dominate the development over the next couple of years. Welcome to Innovation Talks. Join us weekly as we discuss with distinguished industry guests how to refine and improve corporate innovation and new product development as businesses aim for long-term success. Hosted by Paul Heller, Sofian CTO. If you're looking for additional information around new product development or corporate innovation, Sign up for Sofian's newsletter where we share news and industry best practices monthly. The fastest way to do this is to go to sofian.com, that's S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, and click the sign up and stay informed box. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show. Glad you could join us. I hope everybody's having a, a, a good time this summer. It's been a, a lot of fun to uh, to get out of the, the, the winter doldrums, the spring doldrums. I'd like to welcome back a guest that we had prior, H.C. Epic. H.C., welcome to the show. Yeah, hello, Paul. For those who may not have, have listened to the previous episode, I really encourage you to go back and find it. H.C. Uh, did a great discussion on innovation and his experiences with a lot of different aspects to it. He's very active in Germany with a lot of companies, especially in the chemical industry. He's got a lot of great experiences there, and he offered to come back and share those with us. So uh, how's it going so far, HC? You, you, how about your summer? Have you started it yet? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question on a, on a particularly, uh, how do you say, not decisive day. <laughs> so it started pouring down, and now it's heating up again, and then it's going to pour down again. So I'm not sure if there's a summer break in between or if it's just coming. We've had the rainiest June since in years, and uh, we're looking at a very rainy July as well. So um, I'm still waiting for a summer break. Oh, wow. And you're in, you're in just so people know, you're in the, the southern part of Germany. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, thanks for the introduction, Paul. What, what people mostly don't realize when they think about Germany and the industry in Germany, that the chemical industry in Germany is really, really a big part of the, uh, of the economic, uh, economy. Uh, because the, the biggest chemical players like BASF, right, uh, they still own the biggest chemistry park in uh, on the planet and uh, they're one of the largest chemical providers in the world i guess and then we have this large middle stunt that is um, mostly family-owned businesses but they're still major players with 15,000 20,000 10,000 employees uh, making billions of money and and chemicals are everywhere really they go into the auto industry they fuel the pharmaceutical industry we, we just this because of covid right when Evonik couldn't deliver a lipid, then uh, Pfizer had a shortage because they needed this lipid for their um, vaccine, right? So chemicals are everywhere. They're playing an important role and they're a big part of, of Germany's uh, economy. I'm deeply bound with, this, um, with the chemical companies here. That is fantastic. I had no idea that story about the lipid and how how, how appropriate it is for for today. It's you're right. I mean, it's it's a chemical business is 
everybody thinks maybe thinks chemicals is one thing, but it's 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 very different. Uh, it's everything from specialty chemicals, bulk chemicals, industrial chemicals, medical, pharmaceutical. It's it is a wide variety. Yeah, think of all the all the pigments and the the uh, colorants and the and then the resins and uh, you know all these that go into every other industry. But Evonik is a is a large chemical uh, specialty chemical provider. They do almost everything, right? They're playing an important role as a supplier to other industries. AC, when they, these chemical companies, I mean, how do they set their strategies? You know, how do they decide? exactly what they're going to focus on is it is it top-down driven is it more discovery or research oriented you know how, how do they decide what they're going to be in when because chemicals is so vast yeah thanks <laughs> that's an interesting question what i pointed out about the middleston right and and family owned so typically family owned business tend to think longer term and come back to your question it's definitely top down Almost all the time, it's top down with just some exceptions, but it's long term. And we see the rearrangement, realignment of business portfolios in, in the chemical industry like uh, all the time, right? So BSF just announced they're going to part with a large part of their chemicals for water treatment. That just this part of, of BSF business is worth, I think, $5 billion, and they're just going to sell it to a U.S. company. So they're rearranging their portfolio. It's, uh, it's, they think water treatment is not part of their core business anymore, so they're, uh, they're not spinning that out, but they, they made a joint venture, and then they sold their part of the joint venture. Yeah, I know that uh, if we go back, maybe it was about 15, 20 years ago, the chemical companies were all trying to get away from bulk bulk chemicals and get into specialty, right? And then it, since then, it's everybody's drawn their line about, well, wh how, where's our specialty? Where's our expertise? Yeah. yeah. So we have a, a broad landscape of bulk and, and specialty chemicals, really down to like very special. We just do white pigments. We have this company Kronos or Eckhart, part of Altana. They do just white pigments. And it's, it's like there's three companies in the world that, that can do that, white pigments. You find them in toothpaste, in pharmaceuticals, in pills, in, uh, on cars, on everything, right? So the specialties, if they really focus and they become a, a world-leading provider, they certainly have earned their space. On the other hand, we have these, these bulk providers, like, again, BSF, that constantly need to evaluate what's going to be the bulk of tomorrow, and that is really interesting because times are, are changing really because of the pressure, uh, at least in the um, uh, European Union, we have the strong regulation of decarbonization. It's really valuable to be uh, CO2 neutral, carbon neutral, and that stimulates new products, new technologies. And so just a couple of days ago, BSF Agricultural Solutions, they founded a joint venture with Bosch for smart agriculture, smart farming. And that's really interesting when you look into smart farming. Currently, uh, herbicides, pesticides are applied just by the acre, right? You fly over, you spray down, that's it. But if you have intelligent sensors, machines, robots, maybe drones that can actually measure the impact 
then as as studies by by these uh, smart farming companies show that you can reduce up to 70% of the herbicide which is good for the planet it's good for the crop it's good for everyone right so that's fascinating so uh, using modern technology smart technology to reduce our our negative uh, footprint or impact on the planet that is really fascinating, and, and I'm, I'm glad that companies take on these challenges and go in the right direction. Yeah, so now, as we've seen in other industries, we've talked about smart products before, yeah. and, and the products having to be a combination of digital, you know, the software side, the, 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 the actual product side, and here's you've just given a great example of IoT, all of it brought together in, in an application for a, for a chemical business, so that, that's obviously very real. Yeah, and, and think of it. it, just a few years ago, smart farming was just that tractors had GPS, right? <laughs> and now it's, it's much more advanced, it's, it's more elaborate, so much more future-oriented, and the impact on the, on the planet is, is much bigger. So smart products and IoT will certainly dominate the development over the next couple of years. Yeah, I can imagine HC two immediate value props that, that jump out of that value propositions. One would be obviously sustainability, which I'm going to come back and ask you about in a minute. And the other one is profitability, right? If I'm as a, the the farm, I can buy less chemicals, be more efficient in applying those. That's going to going to impact my my profitability as a farm or my my you know my ability to survive whether it be a small farm or a, a giant mega farm so there's the financial aspect to it but there's the, the sustainability as well and in general across chemicals i know there's pressure are the chemical companies are they going to hang that out as a a key value proposition if you look at their annual reports you know where do they go around that is that, that a key strategy for them Absolutely. So that's that's the number one priority of chemicals is to become more energy efficient, um, carbon neutral, They're going towards a circular economy, and it really stimulates new business models. Large chemical providers have now bought wind parks. Maybe I have to mention this, that the chemical industry is very power intensive, right? They need a lot of power. Their power consumption is enormous. And so because they need a lot of power for cracking up all that chemicals into new stuff and in the European region, you need to pay a fine per every ton of CO2 that you produce. So to become green is, how do you say, incentivized? How do you say that? Yeah, they are incented to become green. Yeah, yep. exactly. So, so that's why it's. I think that's part of why it's number one on everyone's strategy to uh, look for like green hydrogen, green power, wind parks, solar power. To look every into every aspect. How can they become either less energy consumptive, or if they need the energy, how can they, how can that be uh, green energy? Right. Yeah. Are they doing a lot of their manufacturing locally, or are they offshoring that into other countries? Uh, what, what are they doing there? So where we see offshoring is really in, in, uh, in uh, yeah, when, when you have cost-intensive manufacturing, which requires a lot of labor. For example, uh, for the pharmaceutical company in India, we see large chemical uh, plants in India because these are needed for the pharmaceutical uh, manufacturers in India. But otherwise, the chemical 
guys, they go where their customers are. So most of the chemical companies have not only dozens, they have hundreds of places where they manufacture the goods that the next customer will need right within that region. We also see a shift towards China, of course. That's the biggest market, right? Or Asia in that regard. So we see a lot of investment going there. But nevertheless, in the European Union, where they that's the third biggest market in the world. And what they manufacture here, uh, because of all the industry that we have, they need to become greener, if you want. That's why it's the top priority that, that stimulates a lot of innovation and a lot of digital solutions, digitalization of processes. So that's an interesting time. I think the whole chemical sector is just disrupted by, by these forces. One, of course, is the need to become more efficient. And the second one is, is the uh, increasing pressure to move towards a, a circular economy. Yeah. The, the biggest newsmaker is anytime there's a incident in transportation of chemicals, right? I, oh, yeah. Here, yeah. here in America, a lot of it is done uh, by train across the rail network. You know, it's a very strong distribution vehicle for chemicals in, in America because of the, the, the scale of the country. But if there's an incident, it's, it's top news. So there's, that's another reason to have your manufacturing, I think, close to your consumers. So in, in Europe, we use the waterways, the River Rhine and the Neckar and all that. And all the chemical plants are basically located really next on the shores of a big river. We also have a lot of canals, as you know. Last year, we had a drought and the, the River Rhine and, and most of the waterways fell short of water, right? Uh, so really, really short of water. So uh, what you just mentioned, BASF could not ship literally could not ship their goods down the River Rhine. Wow. And that led to a new business model. Now they built their own ships. <laughs> no huh. joke. They have started a joint venture with a shipbuilding company that now builds ships that can run on much lower water levels. Wow. That's most fascinating, right? Because these ships weren't available. No one wanted to build them. So BSF said, no, nah, then we're going to just do it ourselves. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. A, a lot of product managers out there in other industries and in many industries are dealing with disruption in their supply chain. But yeah. yeah, this disruption in your distribution channel. I mean, I know that when, when COVID hit, a lot of companies suffered because they couldn't move the goods to where the consumers were. You know, the borders were closed and there was all sorts of challenges. But this, this idea of something like water, the waterways, shutting down your distribution is, is an angle that, uh, that I never heard of. Thanks for sharing that. Very, very interesting. Yeah, we're so dependent on those, right? All these big rivers that, that run, that crisscross through, through Europe, through the mainland, those are really waterways. That's like the autobahn, right? It's because you can transport so much more goods on one ship. You save like 40 trucks with just one ship. Yeah. You know, last time we, we spoke, HC, you, you, you gave me a quote that I've, I've not forgotten. It was so fantastic. It wasn't your quote, but you attributed it to, to somebody else. But you talked about moving from ego to eco, right? Yeah, I know. You talked about instead of being centered on yourself, how important the ecosystem, how is that playing out across 
the chemical companies? Are they working together or are they working, as you said, with BASF, maybe with completely different types of, of companies to bring to bring their innovation together? Yeah, so the the need to come up with new solutions, new business models, new ways of working, new processes, that need stimulates new ecosystems, really. The uh, collaboration between BSF Agricultural Solutions and Bosch uh, to create a, a smart farming company is, is just one of those, right? We, we see uh, corporations with people that provide solar panels, but also with, with more auto people, they skip, sometimes they, they skip the middleman. They create a total new landscape. I, I had a, an example that just eludes me. But um, when we talk about Porsche, for example, is that, is that how you say it in the U.S., Porsche, or is that Porsche? Uh, it depends on who you talk to. <laughs> <laughs> so you said both words, and, and there we go. I think Porsche is the, the correct saying. Yeah, so to talk about the magnitude of what an ecosystem in, in that regard means. So Porsche, for example, they have an ecosystem of like 1,300 permanent suppliers, 1,300 permanent suppliers. And about a third of them come from the chemical industry. So their target is to become decarbonized by 2030. And they just let all their suppliers know, by the way, that means our supply chain needs to, uh, needs to be decarbonized or fueled with green energy as well. So, and we just expect you to do that, or you're not longer gonna be a, a supplier mm -hmm. of ours. Mm -hmm. So now these chemical companies, a large part of the supplier system, right, of Porsche, they need to come up with new solutions. How are they gonna do that, right? Uh, maybe new stuff who's consuming less energy, Maybe um, new ways of manufacturing that stuff. Maybe um, they built their own power plant as one of the large chemical providers does. Like Covestro, they just bought a power plant from, I think, from a, a Swedish power supplier. And that is totally fueled with green energy. So Covestro also wants to become green and a large part of their of their uh, products and also of Evonik, talking about Evonik earlier, a large part of Evonik goes into auto. So that stimulates stimulates new, new ecosystems. I think Merck, for example, our good friends from Merck in Darmstadt, for the US audience, they're only called Merck outside of the US. In the US, they're called EMD, EMD Sigma, I guess now. But these, uh, this, 300 plus years old chemical and pharmaceutical company, they have created their own ecosystem around electronics. And just think of that from a chemical and pharmaceutical company. Now they are developing bioelectronics. So where a medicine could harm you, because any medicine also always has negative effects at some kind on some kind. Now they're trying to stimulate certain nerves and then they can help you with certain diseases or even cure them. But these will be called bioelectronics and there also will be smart products. So from a chemical provider that owned the largest market share of liquid crystals that go in every right. they still own that. So that very same business unit has now become, they even renamed it to Merck Electronics, have now become the leading supplier of bioelectronics. Can you believe that? What a shift. 
that is a that is a transformational shift. So yeah. moving from something that was really becoming commoditized Absolutely. into something brand new uh, that's leading edge. And they were leading the market with liquid crystals. They had in, in, in the prime, they had 80% market share. Everybody that manufactured a display had to use Merck liquid crystals. Now there are other players on the market. So now they, they had to look for other um, opportunities. And they discovered that they can do a whole lot uh, with electronics. And uh, so they went into that way, which is really fascinating. It's a whole new era. Shifting topic a little bit. I talk to a lot of innovation companies and the question always, or the discussion always goes to, are you using startups? Are you using universities? Are you engaging those types of resources in your innovation? What are you seeing out there in the, the type of companies and industries you're working in about that whole, hey, we don't have to do it ourselves. We should have special programs to engage with startups and we have to have ways to find the startups. And these are the universities we need to be working at. Are you seeing that? Absolutely. Yeah. So from my point of view, all the, let's let's say the upper uh, Mittelstand companies, they all have programs that encompass incubation and funding startups so again Merck has all uh, has a their all incubator BSF has their own Evonik has their own so everyone is is doing that uh, but they they carefully they know the odds of course <laughs> and uh, they carefully run their ideation campaigns that's just one channel to feed into the innovation pipeline uh, then they fund startups or even they collaborate with startups to come up with new stuff. Like one company just collaborated and built a joint venture with a startup around AI. And so they want to roll out AI in their whole corporation. And they're using that startup to gain access to that new technology, like very cheap, right? So all big companies doing that, like all the CPG companies are doing that. CPG is, is very similar to chemical companies but they have a faster portfolio very often. So Unilever or Henkel, for example, they have their own incubator programs. They actually offer startups to just participate. And what we see, there are large universities, for example, St. Gallen or the Technical University in Munich, the so-called TUM, T-U-M. And there's in the RWTH in Aachen, that run their own innovation collaboration programs where they fund startups to a certain degree and then they look for business partners. And then there's a matchmate. There are matchmakers actually that bring together the startup with people from the industry. And, and we see that all over. So that's why I'm looking AI, of course, IoT is driving a driving force, the need for speed, the new infrastructure when 5G is available everywhere that will enable new solutions that we can't even think of, right? Uh, together with AI, where we see the, the beginnings right now. Do you have the same picture in the US? Absolutely. In fact, uh, I've had discussions and we'll have a, a guest very shortly from Carnegie Mellon University talking about their startup lab, right? So, right. so absolutely, universities see this as a great opportunity. And I think the challenge or, or the opportunity out there is to connect these yeah. various startups to the companies that 
are looking for them, right? So, so right now, a large company like any of the ones you mentioned, they're engaging startups, but they're, you know, the ability for them to find startups, I think, is, is, a, is a great opportunity out there connecting uh, new startups. And, and universities have a, have a significant play in that. So it's, it's fun to see. I think you, we were both uh, watching that session where Bosch yes. <laughs> described their, their process. And they went from 2,000 uh, startups in the first phase to, I don't know, they had, they had 60% of people that they did not fund for the second round. Is that correct? That's correct. It was, it was a phenomenal discussion. We'll look for a link for that and put it in the show notes. Uh, it was a discussion by Bosch. In fact, I was going to ask you about that, H.C., they were talking about ideas and the first two stages of their yeah. of their kind of process of really culling those ideas and filtering and selecting. It was a real funnel. And I think many companies got away from that idea of of having that selectivity, you know, really just knocking out a tremendous amount of things to get to the, the best ones. And, uh, that individual from Bosch, he just he just said, Yeah, that's the way we do it. And the alternative, I remember the alternative was, well, if we don't do it that way, we don't spend our money that way, people are just going to make stuff, right? And then we'll find out later that it didn't work. Are you seeing that, that selectivity? Have, have companies gotten away from it and are they getting back to it or are they've always been there? What's your experience in that whole idea of the funnel? I was, first of all, I was very surprised with the candor of Bosch, right, that they put out these numbers and all their experiences in a, in a seminar, in a public webinar, even supplied the presentation uh, with it. So very interesting. Most companies that I meet on conferences or where I'm engaged with or we have conversations really lack, totally lack that selectivity. And one of the reasons is they're not aware of the cost of not decision-making. Just today, there was an interesting survey brought up on LinkedIn from our friend Peter First, who had done a study on how long does it take for an idea to get into the development funnel. So how long does it take when first uh, an idea is created and submitted to the ideation team before that idea is vetted, evaluated, prioritized, processed, right? And then there's a decision um, about the next phase of funding, the next phase for that idea development. And he said it's between 12 weeks and six months, and that's just the average. And in between, there's nothing happening. So, so these great ideas, potentially great ideas, in most companies just linger around somewhere in the basement. They're not used, right? Nobody looks at them. And then finally, they get brought up to the main floor and before they come to the, into manufacturing, it's maybe two years, right? So that's too long, too long before we just get serious about the project. Yeah, yeah. Well, HC, I, I, I hope you come back and talk to us more about that. I, I, I think we're kind of out of time for today, but that would be a great future topic if you'd be willing to uh, come back and talk to us more about that. Anytime, Paul. I really enjoy our conversations and uh, I'm really fascinated by the, the other people, how much uh, I could learn from these podcasts. Great fun to be here and contribute to that. Yeah. HC, I can't thank you enough. Every time we talk, it's interesting. And I, I know our listeners will, will all uh, 
find find the same uh, the same uh, enjoyment from listening to you you speak. You're very very knowledgeable, a lot of experience, and uh, it's, it's just fun to talk to you. No, oh, you're too kind, Paul. Thanks. <laughs> so, HC, I, I have a great rest of your your day here, and thanks for joining us. To everybody listening out there, thank you for joining us. You're you're the reason we do this, and we really want to discuss topics that are on your mind. Send us an email. Let us know what you like us to cover. Also, if you if you know of people that uh, you say, hey, go see if you can get so and so on the podcast, or here's a here's a nice person I think would be interested or provide a value. Let us know that as well. Any feedback? We're we're really looking for feedback. You can reach us at talks at sofian.com. So everybody have a great day. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week for Innovation Talks with Paul Heller. For additional information on today's topic, check out sophion.com, S-O-P-H-E-O-N.com, where you will find plenty of innovation-centric content and corporate best practices. If you'd like to discuss anything with Paul or would like to get in touch with the show, email us at talks at sophion.com.